We continue our series in the book of Isaiah. We started new last week for our spring series in chapter number 40 of the book of Isaiah as we continue where we left off, Isaiah chapter number 40. My mother always had a habit of getting ready to go anywhere extra early. The place we went the most, of course, was church, twice on Sunday and on Wednesday night and whenever else they had it. We always went to church. So mom would be ready a half an hour before it was time to leave, all set, ready to go. My father was ready on time, just barely on time. Now my brother and my sister took after dad. They were almost late. Every Sunday, not quite, but almost, I was the only one who took after Mom. Both Mom and I were ready half an hour before it was time to leave. So together, we would pace the floor back and forth in the kitchen, waiting and waiting and always waiting for the others. Mom always made little comments on the side, (laughs) That only I could hear, like, come on, it's time to go. (laughs) Or when they finally arrived on the scene, it's about time. Or we wouldn't want to be early, whatever. (laughs) Both of us hated waiting till the last minute. Of course, when I was working on Uncle Ed's farm, he would always give us a little tweak to get us going, make sure we got up out of bed, especially. It's 5 o'clock, get up! Old Roly is calling the cows, we got to get going, let's go. And it was on a beautiful summer day when the windows were open. You could hear one of the old farmhands, Roly, calling the cows. Come on, come on, come on! So let's get up, let's go! And nobody's going to wait for you what he'd said. My mother put it in me from a very early age, don't make people wait for you. And my uncle Ad reinforced it, let's go, come on, we're not waiting around. So in our text today, we'll think about waiting and what it means for us to wait. Last week we started a study in Isaiah chapter 40. And we found it to be the voice of God to Isaiah with the instruction, comfort. I want you to comfort God's people. We were told, get ready, God is coming. And then look, God has arrived. And see him, he comes with work and a great reward. And he'll be kind to us like a shepherd cares for his sheep. So now as we go on to the second half of chapter 40, the topic remains the same, started right in the beginning of the chapter and goes through the whole chapter, comfort to God's people. It's a continuation of the same thought. This is comfort to God's people. But this part of it comes at a little different slant and a different point of view. Now, one of the big problems that we have, all of us have, comes from having too low of an opinion about God. 
Sometimes we think that God is at our beck and call. We can use him whenever we need him. And then we can ignore him until we get in trouble the next time. Or sometimes we treat him like a lucky rabbit's foot or a talisman. Lots of people treat God like a credit card. Whenever we need something, just put it on the bill. God will pay it. Now, these verses were written to correct our thinking about God and to make us have a higher opinion, a more lofty opinion of God, more suitable to who he really is. And so we begin with a few questions. The Bible is good at asking questions, but let's see if we can answer any of these questions as we begin. Isaiah chapter 40, I begin reading at verse number 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heavens with a span, and comprehended the dust of an earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? And the question that they ask us to consider is that there are three major parts of the world that we live in. First, the oceans in their vastness. And second, the sky in its great expanses. And then the earth with its hills and mountains. And then he says, take a look at your hand. Look at your hand. All right? Take a look at your hand. How much water can you hold in the palm of your hand? Well, <laughs> I got a pretty wide palm. But I'd be surprised if I could hold two or three ounces of water in my hand. And then you're supposed to open your hand, too, and look at it. And you're supposed to measure from the tip of your thumb to the tip of your small finger. And for almost everybody, that should be about nine inches. Nine inches is the average span of a man's hand. When I want to measure a board quickly, I go 9, 18, 27, because it's nine inches. And the old biblical word for nine inches is a span. It's how wide your hand is. So now, here's what you're supposed to do. Dip your hand into the Atlantic Ocean... And you got two ounces of water in there. And so answer the question then, how many gallons of water is in the Atlantic Ocean? You got a lot of dipping to do, don't you? And then add the Pacific Ocean and the Indian Ocean. So I don't know how many gallons of water there are. Millions? Billions? I don't know. But God knows the number. It's as if he scooped the ocean into the palm of his mighty hand and measured all the water in all the oceans. And can your nine-inch span measure the sky? <laughs> so how wide, is the question, is the sky? Who knows? A 
But God knows as if his giant hand stretched across the sky from east to west and measured the whole sky. God knows. And then it says why even God knows the number of dust particles that make up all the dirt in all the world. And he knows how heavy the mountains are and the hills are as if he had a giant scale and weighed them all and added them up all together. Do you mean God knows how many gallons of water are in the ocean and how many particles of dust are spread across the whole earth and he can tell you the distance of the sky as easy as I can measure a nine-inch span? Wow. God knows a lot, doesn't he? Well, let's go on and see verse 13. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, has taught him? With whom took he counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the path of knowledge and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding? Does God need any advice? Is God in need of counseling? Can anyone in Form God of something that he doesn't already know. My friends, here's something about God. God never learns anything because there's nothing that he does not already know. And so let's go on. Verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the aisles as a very little thing. Humans get together, and they build cities, and they form governments, and they expand their territory, and they send out armies, and they exercise control over human populations. And what does all this building and achievement mean to God? It's like a single drop of water in a bucket doesn't mean anything doesn't mean anything to God insignificant or he says the dust of a scale I had this old scale up in the attic been up there a long time and we can weigh something here there's a book Weighs two pounds on the scale. Now there's dust on this thing. Dust of the ages is on this thing. So I'll get it cleaned off here. See if I can. There you go. Still weighs two pounds. <laughs> Didn't change at all. So the dust on a scale is that stuff. In Significant. Insignificant. It weighs the same whether we have the dust on or off. And so are the nations and the kingdoms of this world to God. Insignificant, no meaning, no weight, no consequence to God. He doesn't care what the nations do. 
the last great entire world empire was the Roman Empire, and he brought Jesus into Bethlehem's manger right in the middle of Caesar Augustus' reign. Jesus lived and went about doing good, and he died on a cross during the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Crucified on a Roman cross, he rose from the dead in spite of all the governments of men, and his kingdom spread across the world over the borders of one nation after another after another, as if there were no borders, because the nations are nothing to God. Think about that, America. Verse 16. Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. He said if you took all the giant cedar trees in Lebanon, it was a whole forest. Took all the giant cedar trees in Lebanon for firewood for a sacrifice, and every animal in that great forest to offer as a burnt offering said God wouldn't even notice it. He wouldn't even notice it. To him, it's nothing. He knows everything, and the nations of this world are insignificant to God like so much dust on a scale. All right? Now, are you ready for another question? Here we go. To whom, then, will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman melteth the graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and cast his silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he had no oblation chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeketh on him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. So who is God like? Is there anyone similar to God? One man with a lot of money takes gold and silver and he makes a statue and says, this is what God's like. It is not. No, it's not. Another poor man chooses a locust tree and carves an image out. And this is what God looks like. No, he doesn't. Are you so uninformed that you think you can create a likeness of God? Verse 21. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Have it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the year? Didn't you know? Surely you must have heard it by now. How can you be so uninformed about God, who's been here from the beginning of time? How is it that you know so little about God when he founded and created the very world that we live in? Verse 22. It is he that sitteth on the circle of the earth. The inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. Stretches out the heavens as a curtain. Spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. That bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. 
They shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. He shall also blow on them. They shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. He says, in comparison to God, people are just like grasshoppers. <laughs> like grasshoppers. Princes and kings are nothing. They try to get established, and whew, he blows on them, and they're gone. Just like that. They disappear. So, do you know anyone quite like God? Verse 25. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold who hath created these things, that bringeth out the host by number, calleth all the names by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Don't look at your silly idol, your silly statue. He says, look up. Look up at the sky. Look up into the night sky. There's thousands of stars. And they are all moving across the night sky in perfect order. He controls the orbits in which they move. And he keeps them in motion. And he calls them by name. They are stable. And they are constant under his control. So if God is so powerful and so knowledgeable and so much in control, then why would you make the next comment? Why would you ever make this comment in verse 27? Why sayest thou, Jacob, and speaketh, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord. My judgment is passed over from my God. Here I am, God. God doesn't see me. He doesn't know what I'm doing. He passes me by, unaware of my circumstances and unconcerned about my trouble. What? What did you say? <laughs> You think God doesn't see you in all your troubles? For goodness sakes, he knows the number of gallons of water in the ocean. He knows the number of dust particles over the whole earth. He created the stars and controls their orbit. And you think he doesn't know about you and your circumstances? What? Listen, verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He never gets tired. He never feels run down. But you say, I thought humans were just like grasshoppers to God. I thought people were like so much dust on a scale to God. Well, in that God is hindered or restricted in some way by human endeavors, yes. Humans can't control God or hinder him. But he knows 
all about us. And he knows we are weak, and he knows we are helpless. Verse 29, he giveth power to the faint, to them that have no might, he increases strength. He doesn't ignore us. He comes to the weak and gives us strength. And when we fail and can't handle life, he gives us power to go on. And he offers to help us, to assist us, and to bless us, and give us power to overcome. Now I want to know, what kind of power is that? Verse 30. Even youth shall faint and be weary And young men shall utterly fail. Young, healthy, vibrant people seem to have more energy than I do. (laughs) But in the end, they too wear out, faint, fall down, can't go on. No, God offers something better than a fountain of youth. It's an internal power. Verse 31, here we come to it. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Here we come to the purpose of these passages. The ultimate comfort that God offers us. Last night I was here at church, and as I looked just off to the south, I saw a bald eagle flying way up high with those mighty wings and into the wind. And then he turned and he sailed out of sight in a moment and he was gone. Wow, what a sight. What a powerful flight. Yeah, I want to soar like an eagle. I want to run and not get tired. Doesn't that sound good? (laughs) It says they shall walk through life, through all of its challenges, through all of its obstacles, through all of its pressures and stress. I will walk with God hand in hand and never grow weary and never faint. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Very encouraging and comforting. God is offering me that energy and that stamina and that power to go on and on. That's very comforting, be sure. So tell me, how do I get this infusion of spiritual energy? It is promised to certain people. It says, they that wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. What does that mean? Is that what we're supposed to do to get strong and full of energy? Just wait around for God? I've waited around for people all my life. I've paced the floor waiting for people. Are we supposed to sit down and say, here I am, I'm waiting for God. Soon as God arrives, I'll get ready and go. Right now, I'm sitting here waiting for God. Is that the way to be filled with energy and strength 
and rise up on eagle's wings. Doesn't sound very comforting to me. But maybe waiting on God means something else altogether. After all, there are different meanings of the word wait. Consider this with me. If you go to a restaurant and you're fortunate, the lady will come to your table and say, Hello, I'm your waitress. She's there to wait on you. And most waitresses throw down a menu and say, I'll be back for your order. Right? But a good waitress will tell you what the specials are, will recommend something that may be a very tasty dish. Now you're being waited on. A good waitress will wait on you through all of your dinner. As soon as your glass is empty, she's there to refill it. She stops and asks if your food is good long before you've eaten it all. She sees you are done with a plate, removes it as soon as it's empty. She watches, and as soon as you're finished, she asks, would you like dessert? That's what it's like to be waited on. She's focused on you and responds to your every need. My friends, I think that's what it means when we are told to wait on God. To focus on him. To watch him carefully. If he lifts his hand, respond. If he nods his head, react. If he speaks a word, answer. And if he beckons you, come. Whatever he wants, do it now without hesitation. Focus on God. Never take your eyes off him. Do it until it becomes your second nature. Wait on the Lord. Sometimes you will soar like an eagle and have high emotions and thrilling experiences. Other times you will run and run and cover a lot of ground for the Lord. And other times, which is really most of the time, you're just going to walk. Nothing exciting. Just walk. Slow, steady progress. Believing, trusting, rejoicing, hoping, and most of all, obeying. But you'll never grow faint. You just keep going on and on and on. Focused on him. There is where the power is. There is where the comfort is. Yes, God is great, it's powerful, and it's true. We are not. Yes, God controls the universe, and we do not. Yes, God knows everything, and he knows all about you. And what do we know? Grasshoppers. Dust on a scale. But even still, firmly in his care. Jesus said, God knows how many hairs are on your head, and you think he's not paying attention. 
Jesus said, God sees when a sparrow falls to the ground and you're worth so much more to God than many sparrows. Jesus said, your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask. He will do what is good for you. Ask for bread, he won't give you a stone, said Jesus. Ask for fish, he'll never give you a snake. You know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to you? So, wait on the Lord. Respond to him. He will give you strength and power to live, to go on, to run the race, to finish the course. Don't worry about sitting around waiting for God to do something. It has been my continual experience that God is always working, always in motion, always doing the business of his great kingdom, and it is not me waiting for him, it is rather God waiting for me. Waiting for me to catch up. Waiting for me to respond. And sometimes I say to God, like I used to say to Uncle Ed, I'm coming, I'm coming. <laughs> How thrilling to know that God who created the heavens and knows the ocean and holds it in the palm of his hand and measured the skies in a span and weighed the mountains on a scale has stooped way down low to comfort me and offer strength and power to me to live my life. My friends, are you a waiter or a waitress at God's table? I pray you're a good one, responsive and ready to go. Get up and get going, Rolly's calling the cows. May God bless you as you wait on him. Shall we pray, dear Heavenly Father? Such an open invitation is given to us and so much available to us. We are in your care. We know you're watching over us. And so we ask for help to fly and to run and just to walk, knowing that you'll never abandon us or forsake us. So we wait on God and observe him carefully and do what he says and when he motions and when he invites. May we come immediately and be responsive to his every motion. Bless us, Lord, as we are, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Closing, I'd like you to turn your hymn book with me, if you will. Hymn number 145, standing as we sing. Hymn number 145, in closing, Old Time Power. Page 145.
Dear Lord, we know that we are nothing, and oftentimes we do not give you enough credit for what you are doing out there. We know that you have a plan and that you are working. We pray that we would be attentive and listen, and not wear ourselves out doing the wrong thing, Lord, but try to wait upon you waiting for your moves, looking for what you're doing, and help us, Lord, to have the strength to wait on you each day, to continue to have that strength that is beyond normal, to keep going. Help us walk in those daily walks and to run when we need to run. Lord, help us to have that, that special strength that only comes from you. Give us that strength each day to keep going in this time. We know we need it more than anything. Be with us and give us encouragement, we ask. Watch over all these people. Protect them. Bring them back to this place. We ask all these things in your name.